Well, we are uh, wrapping up a message series on uh, the Lord's Prayer, what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. You find uh, this prayer in two different places in the Scriptures, in the book of Luke and also in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. And so we've been looking at Matthew, chapter 6, and just kind of taking it kind of uh, point by point and fleshing out what that means to pray in this way. Um, Jesus gave this because um, his followers asked him, Lord, how do we, would you teach us how to pray? And so he said, you know, well, here's how you pray. Pray in this way. And he starts going through this template that gives balance to our prayers. Oftentimes when we think of prayer, sometimes we think of um, confession, um, you know, clearing things up with God, like if things have gotten messy in our lives. Um, but what this prayer does is it balances things out so that it's not all one-sided in our prayers. And so we've been looking at this, and it comes at an appropriate time, I think, in our church life, having just finished that um, sports camp. And that required a great deal of prayer and balance in our prayers as well. Um, because just like last year, we had a much, much larger turnout to our camp than we had expected. And so um, we had 214 kids show up to the camp. And it was just this massive amount of kids that um, we were somewhat prepared to have, but, you know, still it was like God just, you know, we had to really trust Him. So And, and you know, we had as many volunteers as we could use, and it was just it was a great time. People had a great time. So... Thank you again. I know Scott said this, but I, I just want to say thanks again. If you participate in any way to help out, we really, really appreciated the way you served. It just really was, it was a great time. So, but yeah, let's look together at this. A um, couple things to just draw your attention to. There's a listening guide if you'd like to follow along. And then also, um, we have a uh, little card on the back on the resource table that kind of outlines the message series just some of the steps of what the model prayer is about. And so, so if you'd like to pick one of these up, you can. It's in the back. It talks about the different areas of this prayer. Uh, but first off, if, if you're looking at the screen, you can read along, or if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Matthew chapter 6, this prayer starts with this. It says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the first thing we do is we've got to tune in to, what God, to who God is. We tune in by acknowledging who we're talking to. We, re- we recognize that we're entering in God's presence, and we do this by praising Him. We do this by giving Him thanks for who He is, for what He's done. I've been mentioning how the word hallowed, it means um, to declare holy or to make holy. God is already holy. He doesn't need us to come along and declare Him holy. But when we pray, this is what we're doing. Is we're saying, God, you're already holy, and I'm just going to declare who you already are. In, in, in my life and in, in the world, this is who you are. So that's how we tune in. We start in prayer by just connecting with God and just saying, this is who you are. And in a very personal way, just as we would, um, uh, you know, it says our Father. God wants us to relate to Him in a very personal way, like Dad. And so He wants us to approach Him not as someone who's far off and untouchable, but as someone who's close at hand, someone who we can actually talk to about our lives. And, And then it goes on and it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, the way we get connected with God as we pray is we set our hearts to accomplish His purposes. We just, we just decide, God, today I want to align my ways and my life with what you, what's important to you. You know, I've got my plans, I've got things that are important to me, my priorities, but God, would you help me to set those aside and just get connected with you and what's on your heart? And that's a really important part of our prayers is to align ourselves with what's on God's heart. So that's why that's a part of this prayer. And then 
And then there's another line, give us today our daily bread. Again, these are template statements. These aren't things that we need to recite, you know, in unison, in prayer. A lot of times you, um, you'll hear the Lord's Prayer prayed, but this is truly a template. It's, it's giving us balance. This, our prayers ought to involve, you know, tuning into God, getting connected with His will. And then this, this part is about making requests. Give us today our daily bread. And so a couple of weeks ago we looked at just how important it is God wants us to ask Him for things. He can provide things. He already knows what we need before we even say it. But there's something about asking. And we'll never get beyond asking God for what we need. It's truly something that's important. And then last week, we looked at this statement, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And we talked about the importance of clearing up relationships. Both clearing up things with God, keeping things clear before Him regularly, and then also clearing things up with other people. And what we find in the scriptures is that God desires right relationships before worship. There's a verse that we looked at last week. It says, if, if you're offering your gift at the altar, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, scripture says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And what it is, is it's a picture of a person who's come to worship. For us, that's, you know, you're coming to church. You're about ready to sing songs. You're about ready to hear a message. And then you recognize you have a a messed up relationship. Somebody in your life, there's some unclear, something unclear between the two of you. The scripture says we're to go and take care of that. We're to get on the phone and say, hey, we need to sit down and straighten this thing out. God, he wants us to, to get things straight before we just continue on in trying to worship him. Those things tend to be a blockage in the line for us in our fellowship to God. So that's extremely important. And also just sin. You know, if sin piles up in our life, unconfessed, that, that again, it, it, it works like a kink in the line. And we're just not able to, to connect, truly, to, to connect with God in fellowship. We're still His children, but there's just this blockage in the line. And so we looked at the importance of all of those different things. And if you've worked through this prayer and in your prayer life, you know, you spend a lot of time in repentance maybe, or maybe... As you pray, maybe you feel like, oh, my prayers are always confession prayers. I just feel like I'm always blowing it. And I, I, can, agree, I can, you know, come alongside you and say, yeah, me too. I feel like I was, a lot of times my prayers are confessions. God, I've blown it again in this area. I've let you down. And I'm sorry. And I, I recognize that. But once you've done that, once you've cleared it up with God and said sorry, nobody really wants to go back to that place again, right? We want to be able to move on. We want to be able to make progress. And so that's why this ends in this way. Verse 13, this is where we're going to look at today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, once you've moved past your, your struggles, you want, to, you want to find victory. You want to be able to not be burdened down or bogged down by the same temptations and struggles to where you just make no progress, to where you're always in confession. We want to find victory. And so this is what this last part of the prayer is. And what Jesus does is this. It starts with Jesus teaches us that prayer is a preemptive weapon. It's a preemptive weapon in temptation. Again, in our battle against temptation, we pray so that some of the things that might come up in our life would not come up. We pray against those things. We pray that God would lead us around temptation. Um, this, in Matthew 6.13, it says, you know, lead us not into temptation. The word temptation, in the original language, what it means is, literally means a putting to proof or putting to the test. 
And the root comes from driving something through with a spear, piercing through with a spear or a spit. A spit is one of those. Um, has anybody ever had Brazilian barbecue where they come and they bring you the meat on a big stick and they start slicing it off the meat? Or you've ever been to a place where they've got the meat spinning on it? That's a spit. And so the idea is that temptation, you know, there's these things that come along and their efforts are trying to pierce us through to take us out. And so we're tempted by different things that could take us down. They could pierce us. Things like fear, temptations like greed, lust, grumbling, complaining, vanity, pride. There's all sorts of things. Control, unfaithfulness, anger. That, you know, you can think of it as a temptation. You know, basically things that would draw us away from God. And so we're often tempted by all sorts of things that test our character. Temptation and the word testing are often used Sometimes interchangeably in the scriptures, but there is slightly a different, uh, there's a slightly different meaning. But temptation truly is a putting to proof. You're testing for the quality. You're testing the character of what, you know, is facing this trial. But we're praying. We're encouraged to pray. Lord, lead us not into temptation. This is really us going to God and say, God, please just lead me around temptation. I don't want to just, you know, constantly just prove that I can stand the test. But this is a prayer saying, and it's really okay to pray, God, would you lead me around things? Would you help me to take courses in life and make decisions in life that would, that would guide me safely from temptation? Now, we're still going to face temptation, but it's okay to pray to be led around it. Also in this prayer is just the implication that, God, would you not let me be run through by this when I am tempted? Would you not let it take me down and take me out? Because that's what the... You know, the temptations have the power to do that. You know, we as humans, we have figured out ways to outsmart insects. You know, we've got flies and different things. We've figured out ways to take them out, to eliminate them, right? And we have roach motels. I don't know if there's anybody that's ever used a roach motel, but if you've got a you know, roach problem, then you put out a little roach motel, and it has a little bit of food in it, and the, you know, the roaches are attracted to the, the food, and they go and eat it, and they, they're really excited. But they find out that's their last meal, right? That's not really a place they want to, you know, they're not going to check out of that place tomorrow. They die there. It's, it's a roach motel, but it attracts them. Um, you know, another thing, flypaper. Anybody ever use flypaper? You don't need to admit that. You know, I don't know if we all want to admit to that. i got some hanging in my kitchen, you know. But, I've often wanted to use this in my house because lately, I don't know what it is up here in this area with the flies, but they just getting in like crazy. And, you know, flypaper, what it is, is this yellow strip. And what it does is it emits this scent that lures the fly in. And it's like, hmm, this smells like something I'm going to enjoy. And they stick to that flypaper and then they go nowhere. <laughs> they die. They get stuck in the flypaper, don't they? It's got this ability to just lure the fly in. You know, we've outsmarted flies. What a bug zapper. You've ever used a bug zapper? You know, it's got that wand and it's got that big light. And you've got this wand and the bugs are just kind of attracted to this light. And they're like, ooh, you know, I want to check that out. Well, they go in up close and what happens? It fries them. You know, zap. They're taken out. You know, we, this is how it is. We found out ways to outsmart insects. But, you know, our enemy, Satan, this is how it is with him. He has figured out ways to outsmart us. He's figured out what it takes to lure us in, to tempt us to where snap, you know, or zap, snap, snap. 
That's a different statement, I think. There. But you get the point, you know. Think we're taken out. He has this ability to do that in our lives. He knows exactly what it's going to take. He knows exactly what's going to attract us. He knows what it's going to take to, to, to lure us in beyond escape. And so this is what happens. This is what happened from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, were created. He came and he promised them a life that would work without God. He says, you know, God says this. He put these boundaries around your life. You don't need to buy that. So he promised them a life without God that would be better. And so Adam and Eve believed the lie. Eve believed the lie. She was deceived. And Adam just stood there watching without saying anything. And zap. You know, they were outsmarted. And that sin, what it did is it brought in all kinds of things. Brought in evil into our world, problems. And ultimately, it separated humans from God. It separated us because we all have followed in that pattern of rebellion. Just deciding to lead our own lives apart from God. Believing we don't really need Him. And so there's this struggle that we have now with sin. But, you know, we can outsmart those insects, but our enemy, he can outsmart us. That's why prayer is a preemptive weapon. It's something that God wants us to use against temptation. Because we don't want to be finding ourselves right up close to the bug zapper. We don't want to be drawn in that close. God, through prayer, we can ask God to lead us around the traps in life. The things that would take us out in an instant. And in prayer, what we're doing is we're asking for a few things. First, we're asking for guidance around temptation. Guidance around it. That's what the writer of Psalms prayed when he, when he prayed this prayer in Psalm 119, 36 and 37. It says this. It says, Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. There's a picture there that as we pray, God can give us the ability to deal with temptation and just to navigate our way around safely through life. Turn my heart, it says, toward your statutes, your ways. And in that prayer, turn my eyes away from worthless things. There's certain things that God would want us to just steer clear from, to not set our eyes on things that are going to lure us away. So we're praying that, you know, that we would be guided around things. Another thing we're praying for in, in, in our prayers is we're asking for deliverance from the attack. When the enemy does attack us, when we do find ourselves in deep, knee-deep in temptation, we're praying for deliverance. God, would you deliver me at this moment? Would you help me to make progress? The enemy, Satan, what he's trying to do is he's trying to take us down and immobilize us. He's trying to disqualify us. He's trying to cause us to do things or present opportunities for us to do things that would really ruin our lives. The progress we hope to make, you know, we, if we blow it enough, he's hoping he could just eliminate our effectiveness in life. He's hoping he could eliminate our testimony. If, if we're walking with God, he wants, to just, he wants to change all of that. And this fight with the enemy, what you find in the scriptures, is that it's more like a wrestling match. It, it's like hand-to-hand combat at times with the enemy. And the battlefield is, is not necessarily... This physical fight with, a, with something out here, what it is, is it's a fight in here. The battlefield is in our thoughts, in our emotions. And the enemy is just trying to capture our thoughts and take, you know, provide opportunities, plant thoughts and seeds that would just cause us to go the wrong direction. And so, you know, we hear songs. There's all sorts of songs on the radio that say things like, you know, how could it be so wrong when it feels so right? truth is because it's wrong and it's clear that it's wrong that's why 
So it's, it's important to just keep that in mind. We need to pray, God, would you deliver me from the attack of the enemy? Here's something else important to know. Um, God provides a way of escape from every temptation. And this is a verse we're going to like. We're going to look at this verse, and then we're going to look at the context leading up to this verse. This is 1 Corinthians 10.13. God provides a way of escape from every temptation. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So like I said, all this stuff started in the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted the first man and woman and, and you know, they get what they needed apart from God and zapped. But there's some observations and some lessons in this passage I'd like to really to look at. First, you see this, the beginning of the, the verse is basically expect temptation. Expect it. It's going to come in our lives. We can't, even if we pray, God, lead me around it. There's things God will lead us around, but there are certain things that will come along and tempt us. Expect it. It will happen. That's what the beginning of this verse says. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Basically, the worst damage is done when you get blindsided. You're just not expecting the attack. We're blindsided. We're just standing there. That's when the worst things come. But the scripture says, no temptation has, has seized you except what is common to man. There's this idea that there's certain things that are going to come in life that are just very, very common. You need to expect those things to come. We did the sports camp, and um, one of the days our karate um, instructors couldn't come, and so three of us put together a karate um, section to the sports camp. You know, a couple guys, one kicking, one punching, and I did a little bit of wrestling. And one of the things that I taught the kids was a wrestling stance. And what, what we demonstrated for them was one person with, with no wrestling stance, just standing straight up, and another guy ready and the guy pushed the, guy, the opponent down. If you're not prepared in a wrestling match and you're just standing there, then your opponent's going to take your legs out really quickly. He's going he's to take you down. And it's the same thing in our lives. If we're unprepared for temptation, then it's just so easy to fall to it. It's so easy to cave. So be expecting it. Take care to put guardrails up in your life. Put things up in your life that will prevent you from being, or that will protect you from temptation. There's a few uh, books that I, that I brought with me today, books that I've used and just have been helpful for me, and I've, I've also encouraged others to read, and so um, I wanted to highlight a few of them. But one of those books is this book, um, Hedges. It's just Hedges, Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It. And it's a book by an author named Jerry Jenkins. You know, marriage is difficult, and there are just all sorts of opportunities um, for unfaithfulness. And... And sometimes we think, oh, I could never do that. But you know what? Every single person in this room has the potential to be unfaithful. And so we have to put up hedges in our lives around our marriages. And what this book does is it, it suggests a handful of hedges that, that protect what you have in your, in your relationship with your husband or wife. And I would encourage you, if you're, if you're a married couple, if you haven't picked this up before, again, um, loving your marriage enough to protect it is what it's called. But what he talks about is placing these guardrails around your life so that in your weaker moments you'll bounce off the guardrail. There's some hedges that are there to keep you from going too far. And usually in marriage it starts with a few inappropriate comments, a few inappropriate looks, just simple things that you wouldn't think would add up to a whole lot. But over time that, that, that ends in ruin. And so just, um, again, that's this whole area of expect temptation. We shouldn't be shocked when it comes. We shouldn't be shocked if, we're, if we find ourselves... 
um, blowing past the boundary and getting too close to someone in an inappropriate way um, because that is to be expected. We, we have desires that God has placed in us, but he's, he wants us to harness them in certain directions. And so, again, I encourage you with that book. But the Bible is just filled with all sorts of stories of heroes. We get all these heroes in the Bible, people who, who've been examples to us, and we can look to their lives and say, wow, this is, I want to model my faith after them. But those same heroes, if you look deep at their lives, most of them had some serious struggles with temptation and sin. And, and God still used them, but sometimes we think, oh, not me. It couldn't happen to me. You know, Jacob, one of the, one of the you know, in the Old Testament, you know, one of the major fathers, you know, of, of our faith and one of the key leaders, you know, he was, he was a deceitful person. He was tempted with deception, lying. Moses, guy who led God's people out of captivity, you know, he murdered. Samson, he dealt with recurring lust. David, he dealt with lust, murder. Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, he dealt with fear. So if the hero, you know, if the heroes of our faith struggled with temptation, then why would we think we're any different? The men who God used to, to you know, in many cases be the authors and God used to to write the pages of Scripture. You know, if they struggled with sin, why would we think we're any different? But one another thing is that God does not allow... You need to expect it, but God does not allow more than we can handle. And that's a promise. God does not allow more than we can handle. God is faithful, the Scripture says. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So we could never really say, I just couldn't help myself, or I, I, I had no control. I couldn't help it. I looked up this verse, 1 Corinthians 10.13, in, in a paraphrased version called The Message. And I, I really liked how it puts it. It says, No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. And, and that's the truth. God will never let you be pushed past your limit. But there's certain places where we just know we need to avoid. There's certain places we don't, we don't want to just be put in a situation and find ourselves up to the bug zapper just to say, God, now's the time. Show me how to get out of here as you're being lured in. And so, again, we just have to expect temptations. Know where are those places where I should just not be? Who are those people you know, that, that I might be caving in with? And, and, uh... Now, God himself, he's not the source of temptation. God is not the source of temptation. But what he does is he allows it. And he uses it for our good. He's trying to grow in us character through testing. And and Satan, he's unwittingly used by God for his purposes to build character. God's using even the tests that come from the the enemy. He's using that stuff to strengthen us. That's all part of God's plan to grow us and to strengthen us. So when it happens, again, don't get mad at God. Don't get thinking, why me? You're you're like everyone else in the room and everyone else in the world who, who is tested in the same way. There's a, uh, there's a famous psychological test that I want to show you, um, just briefly a video. It's a two and a half minute long video. There's not any sound to it, but it's called the marshmallow test. You may have seen this on YouTube. Um, but it's a psychological test where they gather a bunch of four-year-olds. They sit them down in a room with a videotape on, and they give them a marshmallow and say, this marshmallow is yours. You can eat it. But if you don't eat it, I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you another marshmallow, and then you can have two marshmallows. And uh, so take a look and see what happens here. 
He's explaining the rules, basically. I think that's it. Well, they found that, that these kids, this now, this um, original test was done 40 years ago. And they found was that the kids who could delay gratification and choose self-control and self-discipline, you know, what they did was they tracked these kids over a period of years. And they saw when they were older, they scored an average of about 250 points higher on the SAT than kids who just ate it. Uh, they were also more cooperative. They were less envious of their friends and peers. Um, so what, what you find out is exercising self-control, resisting temptation. You know, God uses that in many ways in our lives down the road. He'll use this stuff to develop character, convictions that will help us across the board in life, in our relationships, in our work. It's just critical. Think about it. You want to be married to someone who can choose self-control through the years. You want to work with people who can choose self-control over the years. You want to you want to have friends with you want your closest friends to be people who've got self-control because we know how our relationships that impacts us, the people we spend time with, that impacts us. So, God will provide a way of escape from temptation. Uh, our role though is to look for it. We need to look for the way of escape. If he says he's going to provide it, we have to be looking. God, what are you doing to get me out of this situation? Here's three ways that 
you know, we can look for the escape. The first thing is just identify what the temptation might be and resist it. Identify and resist the temptation. In 1 Peter 5, this just describes the way that the enemy works and how shrewd he is. It says, Be self-controlled and alert. For your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, the enemy, he has a game plan. He, he has tactics that he will use. And he identifies what it, what it takes for each of us to fall. He knows us very well. He knows our weaknesses. And so it's important that we understand our struggles. We need to understand our own personal struggles. Areas where we've caved in and we've crossed the line, we need to understand that's a temptation for me. I need to, I need to resist that. It says in verse 9, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. You know, the goal here is, is to stand. The enemy, his efforts are, are to take us out. He's trying to drive us through and take us down. Our goal is to stand firm. When the Scripture talks about resisting temptation, you'll find the words being steadfast, being, be steadfast, or stand firm, or stand up, or after you've done everything, to stand. That The goal is standing. That when we're tested, that things might come at us and push us around, but that we could stand strong, that we wouldn't cave. But God is using that process to strengthen us. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 through 10, that just cites a bunch of examples. It leads up to that 10:13. So 10:13, the passage that says, "No temptation has seized you." The context of this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the beginning. In the, in the first few verses, he talks about just the history of Israel, some of the things that they did how God had delivered them and how God was faithful to provide for them. And then in verse 6 it says, Now all these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. Um, In this story, Moses was leading God's people out of captivity and they they had been delivered. They were out in the wilderness and God was handing down the law to, to Moses for God's people. And they were grumbling. They were frustrated that, that he was gone so long. Well, they, they began to just cross boundaries. They began to, be, you know, to worship idols. They put something else ahead of God. Verse 8 says, We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. So he's just reminding us, that God's people, there was a price to pay when you crossed boundaries. And verse 9 says, We should not test the Lord, as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. So there's all these things that, that there's these temptations that come up in our lives that he's identifying. Look, these are things that have happened in our past as a people. We need to be aware of these things. We need to identify those things and resist them when they come up in our lives. Secondly, immerse yourself in God's Word. This is something God wants us to use for our daily life. He wants us to dive deep into His Word for ourselves. We have to do this personally. We can't just expect that uh, once in a while, once a year, once a week, that someone does this for us. We actually have to take initiative to get into the Scriptures for ourselves and to see what God has to say. If we don't, we won't be prepared when the attack comes. We'll be standing up straight and what will happen is He'll come and it will knock us down. So we've got to be prepared. Immerse yourself into the Word of God. The Word, the Scriptures, what it does, it comes along, it changes our hearts. It changes our perspective, gives us insight about life. 
The way we do it is we listen to its warnings first. We listen to its warnings. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12. As it goes on, it says, All these things happen to them as examples, and they were written down as warnings for us. This is for our good. This is for our sake that, that they recorded the, the history of God's people so that we could learn from it. And it says, On whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. And then verse 12, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. As soon as we begin to think, and I'm above that, I, I can't, this doesn't apply to me, we're at the worst spot. Because self-righteousness, all it does is that we lift ourselves up to a high point and God will see to it that we, we come down from there. So, so anytime we're thinking, man, how could they have done that? The best thing to do is to read the Scriptures and realize that I could do that too. Just to recognize, man, I could, I could have made the same mistake. If it weren't for God's grace, and maybe I have. And it, it, if it not for God's grace, then, then to pick me up after I recognize I've blown it, because I've crossed some boundaries that I wish I could have go back and, and do that all over again. But thank God, you know, that He can forgive us and come alongside us and say, God, you know, or gosh, you know, I, I died for this. So you can be set free from this stuff. Not so that we can just be buried in it and just continuing to cave to the same areas. God wants to find He wants us to find real freedom and to find victory in Him. So just you know, as you're as you're getting into Scripture, listen to its warnings. Another thing, use it as a, wap, a weapon for battle. Ephesians 6.17 In a list of pieces of spiritual armor that God provides for His people to win the battle, it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is to be used actively in our warfare, in our struggle with sin and temptation. This is how God wants us to fight the battles, to know what the Scripture says, to call it into practice. First, identify the battleground, then memorize what God has to say about different areas of our own struggles, and then swing the sword when the temptation comes up. Jesus did this. We're not going to look at the examples, but Jesus did this in Matthew chapter 4. The enemy came to him and tempted him three different times, and Jesus battled the temptation with the Scripture. He says this is what it was, you know, as it is written. And he quoted a verse that delivered him each time from the temptation. And you know what? Jesus could have had a dialogue with the enemy in the temptation, he could have said, you've got a good point there. And begun to, but what he did was, as the text reads, he immediately quoted scripture and aggressively he battled the enemy's attack. And that's, that's what we need to do. What we say and what we do at the moment of temptation is crucial for finding victory. So at the, at the point when we're tempted, it's so important to respond immediately with, with God's Word. Or ground yourself in His perspective at that moment. Because if we start dialoguing and wrestling in our mind, it's not long before we cave. A couple of verses. If you struggle with anger, if that's your struggle, um, write down Ephesians 4.32. That's the verse you'd want to memorize. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. If, if your struggles fear, Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? You, know, you can use that in times when you're afraid. Swing the sword. This is what you say, God. I'm not going to be afraid here. Grumbling, complaining, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You, know, you can swing that sword. When you're starting to grumble, and when you're thinking about complaining, and that temptation rises up, whether it be control or just wanting to 
You know, swing the sword. Lust, Job 31.1. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. There's these verses that help us in the times when we're deep in battle. And we need to swing the sword. The last thing is this. Connect with people who will pray for you. Connect with people who will pray for you. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We need God and we need fellow believers who can come alongside us and we can come alongside to strengthen each other. Just keep in mind the flypaper. If you, if you, if you are not, if you're isolated or withdrawn from people and you're, you're up too close to things that are going to pull you in, you will be lured in. So it's important to keep your life close to people that will lure you towards the right things. They will draw you towards the right things. If you can't win a battle, um, open up to someone. Be accountable to someone. Ask them for help. Um, several books. You see there's some next steps in your outline. And um, if you'd like, you can uh, you know, check one of those. encourage you maybe memorize a verse or identify a temptation that you need to resist. Um, I'm going to put these books on the resource table. And uh, you may check these out. These aren't to take. These are just to, to write down titles. And, um, but they'll be back on the resource table. The Hedges book will be back there. Uh, the book called When Good Men Are Tempted. And he, he outlines the process of, of struggle and addiction, especially, and just how it looks being enticed and, and then caving in and then just a destructive cycle that begins in our lives. Um, Every Man's Battle specifically deals with the, trying to win wars over sexual temptation. One Victory at a Time, very good book. And then Winning the War Within kind of deals broadly on the whole area of trials, tests, temptations. So I'll put all those back there. If you'd like to take a look at those, write the titles down. Let's pray together, and John's going to come up and lead us in worship. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your love and what you have to say to us this morning. And God, I just... um, I, I ask you, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, I pray that that would be the case, that you'd lead us, guide us around temptation. Father, we, we all know it, it will come. We all know there's things that we struggle with and we all face difficulties. But God, we know you're, you are much stronger and you give us the power to resist the temptations, God. So we pray for that. Lord, I, I ask you to strengthen each one of us here. I pray for those here that have not yet yielded their lives to you, Lord. I pray that they would come to the point where they would invite you to take control of their life, that they yield their life to you as boss and give you... Um, give you rain in their life, and that you would come in and you begin to strengthen them, God, in these areas. And I pray for that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.